The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. What is this compulsion we have to consume? And, and can we break it and not live any worse off at all? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. This episode features Ross Beatty. He's a geologist and entrepreneur in the international minerals field. He currently chairs Pan American Silver Corporation and Equinox Gold Corporation and has found and invested many other resource companies. He is also an environmental philanthropist, primarily through the Sitka Foundation. He chairs the BC Parks Foundation, serves on the advisory board of the Nature Trust of BC. He's the director of the Pacific Salmon Foundation and Panthera, and is patron of the Beattie Biodiversity Center at the University of British Columbia. Mr. Beattie was appointed to the Order of Canada in 2017 and the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame in 2018. I was able to catch up with him for a phone conversation uh, when he was at home in beautiful British Columbia on a rainy day back in December. And I'm proud to present to you my conversation with Ross Beatty. Hi, Ross. Hi. Hi, it's Laura Nash calling. How are you? Fine, thank you. Are you in, in yeah. British Columbia? I'm in Vancouver, yep. I just nice. got in last night. Well, I was in New York till last night, and uh, it's been raining uh, pretty much solid. I think we get, we get 48 millimeters today. Wow. And uh, it's supposed to rain for the next week. Typical Vancouver weather. <laughs> you know what? I miss it so much because I, I was out there for 13 years. So uh, oh. I feel like it's my home. I went to UVic and then I was in the Navy for a little bit as well. So Oh, yeah. Nice. So I'm quite well, familiar. Well, the, um, the, the, uh, the good thing about this rain is it's cold rain. So it means it's dumping snow at the mountains. It snowed 50 centimeters in the last 12 hours up in Whistler. Oh, my gosh. So it's really, really, really come down hard. <laughs> Do you ski too? I do. Yeah, I do. Nice. That's actually one thing I wanted to ask you, what kind of activities you do to get outside, because I know that you must love being outside so much. And Yeah, and... I love being outside, and I ski. I do all kinds of things. I ski, I, I cross-country ski, I canoe, kayak, hike. I just love being outside, so I'm, I'm outside all the time. That's awesome. So that's probably what led you to the Sitka Foundation. Well, not really. The Sitka Foundation was an out of my love of the outdoors. So, you know, I'm a Vancouver boy. I, I was born and brought up here, and uh, I, I don't know why, but I've always loved the outdoors. I, I've just loved, when I was a kid, I was a hiker. I got my first rock glitch when I was young. I mean, I just loved the outdoors. And that persisted through high school, persisted in university. So I wanted a job that would work outdoors. Mm-hmm. I would work outdoors in, and, and I gravitated towards geology because I, could, I figured it was a great way to uh, make a living, and I would be able to climb mountains and get paid and fly around in helicopters and camp and do all that stuff and, and, uh, and actually get paid for it. So it was, it was a natural thing for me. And, uh, and I did that. And then I, I realized I was a decent salesman. So I, I was able to sell kind of ideas to develop uh, mineral exploration projects here and there. And um, then I got into the public company game and uh, I could sell stock actually and, and stories around that and, and dreams. And, and some of the dreams worked out and most of them didn't. But Ultimately, over a long career, I've been a real, you know, entrepreneur in the in the mineral resource development business, 
and it's been pretty successful. So I've I've uh, I've made you know a fair bit of money, and uh, but I have a very low spending lifestyle, and my wife even more so. She's an anti consumer, and so we nice. you know we don't really spend very much. It's been kind of fun making it. So I figured, well, let me give back to that which. I love most, and that is environmental projects. And so um, I set up a foundation 10 years ago called the Sitka Foundation here in Vancouver, and I've pumped a fair bit of money into that. And from the Sitka Foundation, we uh, we are able to support, I think right now we're supporting 75 or 80 different Canadian environmental groups, ranging from, you know, the Museum of Nature in Ottawa to Queen's University to UBC to... Uh, Pacific Salmon Foundation, David Suzuki Foundation, uh, Pembina, and dozens and literally dozens and dozens and dozens of other ones. Land conservation, environmental education, uh, scientific research into environmental projects, public policy stuff, for example, uh, you know, trying to support uh, climate, change, climate change regulations, mm-hmm. uh, CO2 mitigation, carbon tax, that kind of stuff. It's all over the map, but it's all focused on environmental protection biodiversity preservation, really in Canada mainly, but but the truth is we've got lots of projects done in Latin America as well. So it's kind of global, but it's mostly focused on BC, secondarily Canada, thirdly the world. And uh, it's very satisfying to me. And and so that, you know, one of the many, many projects that we uh, support through the Sitka Foundation was the Canadian Museum, Museum of Nature in Ottawa. But even that really was the second or third big Canadian public donation we gave or public investment we gave, I always prefer to call these things investments because I want a, a return and I want to return meaning a better environment or better, better, uh, better protection of the environment uh, from those. Uh, the first one we did was, was at UBC uh, in developing something called the biodiversity research center and affiliated with that was a museum which is now called the VD Biodiversity Museum. And that was such a home run for me. It was so successful. I'm so pleased with it that we just, you know, we were able to do it again at Queens, again at the Museum of Nature. And quite frankly, I'd love to do it again and again before I croak. Uh, this, is, this is all good stuff. It's public outreach. It de- demonstrates the beauty of nature. It also uh, supports research into current problems affecting uh, nature and that, you know, that, uh, that thing at the Museum of Kennedy Museum of Nature was just a perfect thing for us, and we were very, very happy to be able to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, I've heard such wonderful things about this. And then uh, the one at Queen's University, so that's close to us in Kingston, Ontario. That's the Beatty Water Research Centre uh, at yeah. Queen's, right? Yep. Yeah, so is that is that like freshwater Great Lakes, or is that more ocean-centred? Yeah, it's a bit of both, actually. It's it's cool. definitely fresh water, and it's not just Great Lakes. It's also um, groundwater in, in Ontario and, you know, better mm-hmm. ways to monitor it and make sure it's clean. Uh, I mean, it's outrageous that Canada has more fresh water per capita than anywhere in the world, and yet we still have towns and, and, and villages that don't have clean drinking water, that have boil water advisors. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, it's it's supporting that kind of thing, and, and, and quite frankly... For us, we don't have anything to do with, with what they do at Queen's. Queen's runs that as they see fit. But we were just really happy to support um, uh, creation of the Water Research Centre so that uh, they could up their game a little bit and, and just do things better and bigger and more effective than they were before. And that was something they wanted to do, and we were very happy to support them. 
Mm-hmm. So in the zero waste world, we're very much against sending things to landfill if we can avoid it. And that is actually a big problem for groundwater and something that we're concerned about in our area, because when you put things in landfill, eventually those landfills are going to leak and yep. the leachate's going to get in there, you know, and we have to monitor these things. So I would like to hear a little bit about your venture into geothermal. Now, am I correct to say that you were in gold and then you went into renewables and then now you're into silver? Is that right? <laughs> not quite, but, you know, you're not far away. I've had, I don't know, in my career, I've started 15 or 16 companies. It's, it's been kind of silly in that way. But but um, about, I'm going to say 2008, um, I just sold a couple of uh, copper exploration companies and I retired kind of from my silver mining company called Pan American. In terms of active service, I, I'm still on the board, but I, I haven't really been that active in terms of management. So I was uh, not really ready to retire, and I wanted to do something green and clean and, you know, try to use my entrepreneurial experience in, in the clean energy world. And I focused on geothermal power because I thought, well, and, and this, is a dem, you know, this is a classic case of, uh, of ignorance is bliss. You know, you, can, you don't know a lot. You can be a great promoter. So I, uh, I thought to myself, well, if you, you know, if you drill into the ground, you get really hot, hot rocks, and if there's fluid there, you can pump up that hot fluid and to the surface and drive a steam turbine, make electricity, and pump it back in the ground, and it goes forever. Mm-hmm. So I ran around the world. I started a company called Magma Energy. Ran around the world uh, looking for geothermal power sites where we can make electricity from hot water. And there's a few. And you know, after a couple of years, I bought a big business in Iceland, another one in, in Nevada. Export all over the world, literally. And I just found it was a really tough business, and you couldn't scale it up into a global business. So I, I, I didn't want to stop the clean energy thing. Um, I'm, I'm still totally dedicated to trying to get us off of carbon-based electricity systems like coal and gas and oil. So I moved from just pure geothermal to building a company that also had wind and solar and hydropower. And that became Altera Power, and then just this year in February... I merged Altera with another Montreal-based company called Interjex. And now, actually, the company's a pretty big company. Uh, Interjex is a really great, you know, Canadian story. It's, uh, it's, um, it's got all of the assets that we had with Altera, plus a whole bunch of its own. And it's producing something like 3,000 megawatts now, which is a lot of power. And that includes uh, wind, hydro, solar, and geothermal in Iceland, France, uh, the United States, Chile, and all across Canada. Oh, so wow. it's a great company, but I'm not... I'm no longer involved in the management of that company. It's all managed out of a really outstanding team in Montreal. But I'm on the board. I'm in the, I'm, I think I'm the second largest shareholder because I, I didn't sell any of my shares in Altera. I just, I just joined the two companies together and kept, kept a big share position. So I'm really, I'm really uh, happy about that. And, and yet, because it's, for me, it was a, an exit from a management role, I've started another little company in the gold business again. And uh, so I'm sort of working on that right now as my main thing. And yet, I'm really not running it. It's run by another management team. I'm chairing it, but I'm, but I'm, uh, I'm not really doing anything actively. So I'm doing all, all this sort of business meddling right now, and I'm doing a ton of philanthropy. I'm on the boards of uh, four nonprofits. I, I just came back last night from Montreal, sorry, from uh, New York, where I was on the board of a wildcat conservation uh, NGO called Panthera, Global oh, Fabulous yeah. Group. I'm on that board. I'm on the board of, uh, of the Pacific Salmon Foundation. I'm the chairman of the board of a uh, new thing in B.C. called the B.C. Parks Foundation, which is meant to support these fabulous parks we have in B.C., make sure they're still loved by the people, and that it doesn't matter what government we have, there's still strong funding that goes to support our park system. 
And mm. so anyway, I'm quite, you know, I'm running around a lot. I'm, I'm a very hyperactive soul, so. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to really focus on environmental philanthropy as my number one thing, really, from here on. That's amazing. What What is Panthera? So are they operating in South America or in Africa? Panthera is a global uh, wildcat conservation organization. It's the world's best. They have 200 mem- staff members' offices in, uh, or, or uh, field, field areas in Africa, in Asia, in in Canada, the U.S., all over, and all over South America. They're, oh, wow. they're trying to protect the world's big cats. Uh, the lions, tigers, jaguars, you know, the, 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 uh, all the many, many smaller cats, bobcats, blinks, all those sort of things. From, in some cases, you know, hunting pressure, poaching pressure, uh, habitat change pressure, all these things that are basically serving to reduce these wild populations. And it's not so much the wildcats themselves are worth protecting. Of course they are. They're iconic uh, top predators. Mm-hmm. But if they're healthy, they require very healthy landscapes to live in. So that if we can get the cats to be healthy, the whole landscape gets healthier. And so it's, it's a really good way of, of, of doing landscape conservation, which is actually the most important thing of all. Mm-hmm. We saw that with wolves, too, in Yellowstone when they reintroduced them. Yeah, exactly the same with wolves. Yeah. Exactly, and, and Yeah, exactly the same. Cougars. You take a place like, like well, I live on an island near Vancouver called Bowen Island. Well, there's no, there's no uh, predators, there's no wolves, and there's no cougars. Because of that, the deer are just running uh, riot. I mean, mm-hmm. deer breed like, like weeds. And <laughs> the deer now are completely changing the ecology of the island because they're browsing all the small saplings and small, small trees and plants, and they're making the interior of the, of the island like a moonscape. So it's, it's, it's unhealthy to have this, these types of ecosystems that are out of whack, that don't have you know, the full range of, of predators and, and, and prey populations that, that are, of course, a more natural ecosystem. Absolutely. They probably have ticks, too. Do they have ticks on the island, I wonder? Because they do here, and it's a it's a big growing problem in Ontario with climate change, is that uh, the ticks have moved up into our area. So, Ticks are around. Yeah. When you live on, uh, you live on Bowen Island, so I remember sailing around there many times, and it's beautiful. It's, it's so beautiful there. Yeah. There's a lot of dolphins. Do you see a lot of dolphins from your, from your house? Well, you know, often people get quite pessimistic with environmental degradation in the world. I mean, it's, it's easy to be pessimistic. There's all kinds of places that are just being absolutely hammered by this heavy, heavy human footprint. Yeah. Um, but there's other places that are actually give me some grounds for optimism. And the, the sound, the water around Bowen Island is called Howe Sound. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've lived there all my life. It's actually getting better now. We see more feeder fish bait balls like herring and northern anchovy and so on. They're out in the bays. We see them a lot. And with those healthier feeder fish populations, there's more salmon than we've seen in 20 years. Mm -hmm. With the salmon come the dolphins and the killer whales and the humpbacks and the sea lions and the seals. And so the marine ecosystem in Howe Sound today is as healthy as I've seen it for over 30 years. And I'm really happy to see that. I'm really encouraged. And it's due to a whole bunch of things, less logging. There was a big mine that was polluting uh, acid water into the and heavy metals into yeah. the sound. It shut down, and its water's been cleaned up with a water treatment plant. You can go and there tour that temp- mine, I think, right? Yeah, that was oh, that well, it shut down back in back in 1974, but its pollution kept going into the sound. Well, that's yeah. all been cleaned up now. That one of the pulp mills shut down. Another pulp mill reduced its uh, its its contamination of the environment with with um, dioxins. So it's just a healthier sound, and there's more um, 
there's just more ecology that's 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 healthy there, and that's allowing it to kind of come back. And and with that, you have more ecotourism. You have a lot of whale watching that goes on. You have a lot more people that come there from all over the world because it's just beautiful and it's on the doorstep of Vancouver. So there's an economic benefit to having a sound ecosystem. And a lot of people forget that. They say, oh, you know, we missed that mine, we missed that, that pulp mill, and uh, we need those jobs. We need, that, we need that, uh, that strong primary industry. But actually, there's other types of industries and there's other ways of, of creating a strong economy while at the same time being clean. And that's where I really hope and pray that our, uh, our country can go in the years to come. Right. I think that's the the difficult part. And I feel like our country is a little bit erupting right now, <laughs> trying to sort this out. Like, how do we how do we do everything right and, and keep jobs? And it's interesting to watch politics right now. But yeah, it's nice to see that that how sound is coming back like that. I can't remember the name of that mine, though. Uh, that's near. It was called the Britannia Mine. Britannia Mine. Yes. If you're ever on the way up to Whistler, if you're listening, you can yep. uh, you can stop in there. And it's fascinating that they they stop the pollution. And I believe that water has to be treated for the rest of like forever. Or pretty something. much. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah pretty because much forever. It's, yeah. it's leaking. So did did yeah. you have that that issue too? So so you you go into places and you you have this mine and then you have to kind of like clean it up afterwards. Well, you know, of course, that mine started a hundred years ago. That that mine started in the, at the turn of the century, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, environmental protection that didn't exist. So every year, I just get stronger and better. And today's mine industry is is, is nothing like it was a hundred years ago. You know, in in, in a lot of ways. So, some good and some bad. I mean, there's much stronger environmental protection. Uh, however, the scale tends to be bigger in a lot of a lot of big these big open pit mines. The scale is quite big, and they're very destructive. So, but at the end of the day, I mean, a mine is a is a depleting resource. A mine always ends. It always, you know, once the resource is gone, it shuts down. And today, mines can be reclaimed really well. I mean, we we just closed the silver mine in in, uh, in Mexico about uh, three years ago, and, and you'd hardly know it was there today. There's a pit, a small pit. But the the waste area and the uh, the tailings have been revegetated. They're now cornfields, and and they're providing yeah. a, a good living for the local people. And you would hardly even know the mine was there. So it's just modern modern reclamation versus old reclamation. Mm-hmm. And so Canada's mining regulations, I'm sure, would be much stricter, right? Than not th- really. You, you'd no? be surprised. It, it depends on the company. So. Most of the companies of the world only do things one way. It doesn't matter if they're in Africa or Canada. They only do things one way. And that's, you know, they're all pretty well run. They're run by people who have pretty good social consciousness. There's an awful lot of value today in a company that has good corporate social responsibility yes. or environmental and social governance, you could say. And, and because that's so important, pretty much every company that is, that is certainly a Canadian company would follow the same procedures anywhere as they would in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that with the Navy too. So if we went somewhere that had bad dumping regulations, we would still follow our Canadian regulations yeah. no matter where we were. And yeah. that's just, it's just as it should be. I mean, this is, this is just good business. If you look after your environment, if you look after your workers, if you look after the communities around which you work, that are around the places you work in, you know, it's, it's going to make, it's going to make operations more more smooth. You're going to have lot fewer fines, fewer problems, less disruption. It's just good for business. It's a smart way to to operate. Mm-hmm. And and you were saying uh, in one of the videos I watched, if if people want us to stop 
producing all of this stuff and, and, and mining and whatever, that we have to stop the demand. Because this is a huge one for us. Like, why are we why are we creating such a, a demand for oil and gas for things like plastic yeah. and things that we don't really oh, I need? Know. I know. I mean, it's a it's it's very hard to be brief on this because it's a subject of which I, I I talk a lot about, I write about, and it's it's really you know a lot of a lot of our society right now, a lot of our direction of our economy is wrong wrong headed. It's all about a growth obsession. Well, what does a growth obsession mean? It means more destruction of nature. It's just that simple. More people consuming more junk. And and an economy mm-hmm. that has to get bigger every single year. Well, if you work that, that, that to its sort of logical conclusion, in a finite world, in a finite anything, you cannot ever have exponential growth because ultimately you run out of resources yeah. and the whole system collapses. So we're seeing that in many places, in, in places like Madagascar and Haiti and Pakistan and many parts of sub-Saharan Africa. They simply have grown, to the and, and India actually, where there's just too many people and they've run out of resource base. They've run out of good soil, good air, clean, clean, clean water, and often other uh, kinds of, of resources. So it's a completely unsustainable form of existence for the world. So uh, how does it? How, how can we stop? Well, there's there's two big, big overriding problems. One is there's too many people. So luckily, uh, that kind of problem is sort of resolving itself. Women are having fewer kids. On a global basis, there's more than 100 countries now that have negative fertility, which means ultimately their populations will decline. Mm-hmm. There's still some problem areas, but basically the world is, is, is leveling out in population, and ultimately I'd, I'd like to think it's actually going to decline. So that is a very good thing. All of that, that's good. The other big problem is we're just consuming too much junk, uh, and this is putting enormous pressure on the environment. Uh, it, you see that reflected in how we produce electricity, uh, the carbon emissions that come from that, from, from, from all manner of pollution, not just carbon. I mean, nitrogen and, and pollution in water, and the destruction of many, many ocean ecosystems from fertilizer. So it's, it's just, I mean, I could go on for a long time. Yeah. So how do you stop it? And, and often people criticize companies. They criticize mining companies. They criticize logging companies or, uh, or oil and gas companies. But actually... Those people should look at themselves in the mirror and say, how am I contributing to the consumption of all these resources? Well, it's my lifestyle. Do I really need one car or any car? Do I really need two cars or three cars in a family? Do I really need to have this, this computer, this electronic junk that, that is consuming so many resources? I mean, everybody's iPhone, there's about 30 different minerals that have to be mined to make that iPhone, to make the electronics in there. There's silver, there's, well, I'm not going to go through all the lists. You can, anybody can Google that. But all this stuff requires resources. The best way to reduce our ecological footprint is to consume less. And so I couldn't support what you're trying to do with more conviction because it's the absolute right thing to do. Consume less, waste less, use things better, get into the uh, recycling economy more. That's how we can make a more sustainable world for our kids and for their kids and their kids. It's the only way to go. Mm-hmm. I wish I could give you a hug right now. <laughs> it's just like so, <laughs> well, it's like it's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's it so is. true. And, and, and actually, I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm only a man. You know, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite guilty of buying stuff occasionally. And, you know, you know I, I try to ride around on a bicycle all the time. I try to have a little, 
a low impact footprint, but I'm not, I'm not perfect for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that's the way it goes. But my wife actually is a far, far more noble soul in that department because she basically is an anti-consumer. She doesn't buy stuff she doesn't need. She wears clothes until they basically fall apart. She actually makes a lot of her own clothes. She doesn't, uh, you know, we'll go a week and we'll have a tiny little garbage bag. We recycle pretty much everything we use. We are lucky enough to have a beautiful big garden, so we grow all of our own food. And, I mean, we're economic terrorists because we, we, are, we are anti-consumers. We don't support our economy in that sense. And that's okay. <laughs> that's what we all have to do because actually our economy is founded upon utterly unsustainable principles. We have to change, and the best way to change is every single person taking direct action. I worry about those people losing their jobs, though. So I always try and bring on businesses that are trying to do something like instead of toothpaste tubes, they're making like little toothpaste pills that you bite and they come in paper, you know, like things like that. Um, Because I worry about, you know, what are people going to do without jobs? Yep, for sure. And I mean, that's a very, very big problem because because uh, there has to be some reason to exist, and, and work is, is one of those basic things that humans seem to want to do and like. And so I'm going to say that my future is one where people actually work a little bit less, and mm-hmm. maybe they don't get paid quite as much, but maybe they don't have the same kind of need for money. They don't have the need to buy all that stuff that they think they need right now, and they need money for, and therefore they have to work harder to get it. So it's a world where they're going to be more content with um, things that are not resource consumptive. Yes, um, yes. And, and allow a, a circular economy and allow lots and lots of entrepreneurs to do lots of good things, but in, in a direction towards more sustainability. And mm-hmm. that's not what we have today. Yeah, and focus on family and focus on experiences. Yeah, and and sure. food is such a big one. If you grow your own food, you're going to love it so much, right? Like you guys totally. probably love your veggies that you grow so much more than if you just buy something in a plastic packaging that came from who knows where, from who knows who, totally. right? Does your wife do any jarring at all? Does she ever? Yes, we do. Yeah, we have a whole pile of uh, big jar or canning cellar. We have uh, our freezers full of full of stuff that we grow in the summer and eat during the winter. And I love to fish, so I catch lots of salmon and halibut here and stick them in the freezer and eat them all winter. And it's it's pretty nice. But you know, not everybody has the luck of being able to do all of that. But but we do, and we and we that's how we live. That's awesome. Well, you can find it if you look for it. Usually, if you look for sustainable products uh, wherever you live, there's usually usually places you can you can go. So, oh, that's just so wonderful. Well, Ross, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to us today. Pleasure. And I think I think that you're just doing wonderful things. And I wish there were more people like you that were uh, that were <laughs> putting. There's lots of people like me. There's lots of people like me, and it's and you know your listeners are, are some of those that they should all be proud yes. of what they're doing and trying to do because it's it's you know changes either you know from the top down to the bottom up and I think we all have to be part of that bottom up and and make changes in our own lives that ultimately affect how our economy and society works and do whatever we can and it's so nice that you're spending money on things that really really matter because sometimes I just wonder what people are spending like you know so much money on when people have so much like, I, what are they doing I with do it? too I just don't get it I mean I go to I, I, I go to uh, a mall and I see the sort of stuff people are buying, I, be it fashion or, or furniture, it doesn't matter. And just, hey, what, what are they? And I see people building these humongous houses uh, all, all over the place. They just have to be filled with stuff they don't need, they don't use. And I just wonder what's, what's in their heads. Like, what is this compulsion we have to consume? And, and can we break it? 
and not live any worse off at all. That's, you know, that's, that's a puzzle that, that, that really I, I haven't figured out yet. When I see people buy stuff like that, I, I think of it going into a garbage bag because you know it's going <laughs> to end exactly. up there soon, right? And then it's probably yep. going to go to landfill because we don't have a whole lot of incinerators here. I know there are some, uh, which are also problematic and a whole other topic. But thank you so much, and um, good okay. luck with all of your work. And uh, you. in, enjoy the rain today. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Ross Beattie, a chairman at Equinox Gold and founder of the Sitka Foundation. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean, you can find me on Patreon, or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.